my podcast about. This is a podcast where we sit down every couple of weeks and try to figure out what we can make a podcast about. I'm one of your hosts today, Keith Ramsey, also joined by Peter Akerley. Hey. And Matthew Grace. Hello. So, a lot of crazy stuff's happened since the last time we recorded. Oh, jeez uh, Louise. As uh, most of you listening know, it was a filler episode we had that we recorded back when we started uh, up just recording some ideas, trying to get a format down. Yep. Uh, since then, though, we've had Banjo-Kazooie go live on Smash Brothers. Uh, the Spider-Man Sony thing, I don't know if you heard about this, but it got even wilder because apparently Amazon and Apple are both trying to buy Sony now, oh, which Jesus. if that happens, Spider-Man just goes back to Marvel for free. Oh, we also had a group of people attempt to raid Area 51, and raid is in air quotes there, because just because... they showed up with signs saying raid Area 51, they can't stop all of us, and they just essentially had to... They, like, had, like, essentially what was, like, a... Like a meetup or something. I like to believe in my own canon that the Naruto runner made it in the back while everyone was too distracted with everything going up front, and he's in space right now with those aliens. Yeah. That's the canon I believe in. Yeah, it was essentially just, like, a tailgate party of a whole bunch of people, like, talking excitedly about a thing that's going to happen that never happened. I'm still excited that something actually did happen, that yeah. people did end up going. Well, obviously something was going to happen, because, like, what was it, like, a week or two ahead of time, like, a couple of Dutch YouTubers were caught trying to break into Area yep. 51. They went past the gate, got arrested. And I was thinking this whole time, I was like, if one person shows up, you, you're kind of obligated at that point to be the guy who ran at the base, regardless yeah. of what happens. If it's only you, you don't want to show up and, like, I was just that guy that was standing there. Yeah. I was the one who, I, I went the furthest, but also didn't want to be the one to actually raid. No, everyone's going to make fun of you for that. But if you're the one who shows up and, like, actually tries to get into Area 51, you're a living legend for the rest <laughs> of your yeah. life. But in all honesty, those two guys that were arrested, uh, I do not want to be them. Because on their record now is, yeah, these guys tried to sneak into... A secret military base. Foreign uh, spies uh, sneaking they were in. Foreign uh, countrymen trying to sneak into a secret military base. Everything about that is just like the kind of thing where they never get to come to America I again. Mean, they're probably they're lucky they're not dead. Honestly, if you think about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I remember like when the raid was about to start because they had all the live streams going. Uh, one of the uh, memes I saw online was footage of the live stream cuts out into like two hours into the uh, raid and then like the government just pretends nothing ever happened it's like oh no <laughs> oh i just love how uh right at the beginning yeah you get to see someone naruto running behind a cameraman who's talking about the story like news anchor not news anchor news reporter on camera like empty desert behind him no shot of area 51 or anything like that but talking about the raid and then just a guy naruto runs right behind him through the screen <laughs> oh it's phenomenal and then back onto the other topic of like uh, Banjo Kazooie now being in Smash fully, you can play him. Terry Bogart got announced as the next character, so that's pretty cool. We're having a Neo Geo character. To be fair, Nintendo kind of leaked accidentally a bit before it was going to be a Neo Geo character because the trademark for Neo Geo was on the Fighter Pack Four online for a bit. Yeah. So you got one more character, and then there's going to be more release packs there. It sounds like Sakurai is fully, perfectly fine with just making DLC characters for Smash Brothers from now on. GTA 5 approach of once you have a solid game, don't worry about making the next game. Just keep making this game relevant yeah, forever so people keep buying into it. It's the ultimate version. Everyone's here. A what? Not everyone's here yet? Well, let's bring everyone in. Well, Sakurai even said, like, he feels like this is never going to happen again where he can get all that those characters back into a game. You feel like that's impossible at this oh, point yeah. to do again. And he wants to see how far he can get it 
because this is like it's a record for a game having that many different franchises in one game and he yeah. wants to see just how far he can push yeah. it it's yeah. the ultimate crossover screw you endgame this is the ultimate <laughs> crossover now <laughs> but what if like endgame like the next marvel crossover just like puts waluigi in there they, they oh, gotta win by that marvel one. immediately wins if they throw waluigi <laughs> into the mcu I mean, with Nintendo properties, you said earlier, we could get Thor in here. I mean, it's possible considering uh, Ultimate Alliance 3 was a Nintendo exclusive. I feel like that could open up possibilities yeah. for it. Where, in a way, the characters had had to have been on Nintendo properties. Joker kind of throws a wrench in that, but he is coming through eventually. Yeah. Not in Persona 5, of course, but like a spin-off game. I still really don't want to see Iron Man in Smash Bros, though. <laughs> it just would not fit. It'd be amazing if Iron Man was in Smash Bros, and you got, like... One of the me fighters as the gunner dressed up as Iron Man fighting against actual Iron Man. <laughs> I also just like the idea of like maybe the Hulk sneaking in and it just being like a whole bunch of people just beating the shit out of the Hulk mercilessly. <laughs> and one of his taunts is just the banjo dab. Oh no. 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 I'm no longer on board with the Hulk being <laughs> in. Well, uh, on a, such a sad topic like that, I think the only thing we can go into is the fact that we now have actually some corrections to read off. That's true. So, uh, this correction comes from, I apologize, I might be mispronouncing your name, I believe it is Tomas Shahan, <laughs> Tomas Shahan, uh, sent in a correction that says, to be fair, he said he had many corrections that he could make, but wanted to save us a little bit of embarrassment, which sounds like a lie, trying to make up the fact that he can't find any other corrections, but he does have a correction our topic on DC storylines that we really enjoyed when we talked about the one where what if Clark Kent had of, or Kyle or Superman, whatever you want to call him, had of landed in Russia. The storyline is called Red Sun, not Red Dawn. We had misnamed it in that episode, so sadly our perfection streak has been broken. We are no longer perfect. But from this point onwards, we will be perfect, and there will be no more corrections. Thank you for listening to I our mean, corrections. We're just as perfect as, you know, those antibacterial things that kill 99% of germs. Yeah, we killed 99.9% .9 of incorrect statements. <laughs> 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 so what's our topic for today, boys? Uh, so today we're getting about a topic we've been kind of talking about briefly through all of our episodes so far. Three houses, fire emblem, on the Switch. We've kind of had this take over a bit of our lives recently. Yeah, this wasn't even like something we like planned on talking about, so we got the game. We just all happened to get the game, and we're like, well, we're all playing it already, and we're all playing different houses already. Fuck it, let's just talk about this for an episode. So Matt's been like bursting at the seams for like the last week wanting to talk about Fire Emblem, we're like, no Matt, you're not allowed. Yeah, especially since I was being caught up in a bunch of other things, other friends making me play Dark Souls instead of being able to play Fire Emblem. <laughs> And so, just the past week, I've been hammering through the game, and my god, I want to talk about this so much. <laughs> it's so good! Uh, so, to start off, let's just uh, go around and what houses did everyone start with and why? So, I started... Uh, this is a whole fucking story for me. <laughs> I started uh, two separate houses, uh, because I kind of wanted to see how much the stories diverged over the course of the game. So, I started with both the Black Eagles and the Blue Lions, uh... Both because those two seemed the most interesting to me. I apologize to any green golden deer, golden deer fans out there, but they just didn't seem as interesting to me as the other two houses. And I got to about the time skip in both of them and then just kind of happened to have my game save deleted by another person who shall remain nameless. Fuck you. Uh, and so I am forced, I was kind of forced into finishing up the blue line and losing my Black Eagle progress. Whereas I'd started with the Black Eagles, 
because uh, I had a little bit of pre prior insight into the main house leader characters because I was also playing uh, Fire Emblem Heroes on the phone, and they had recently released the main or the main house leaders as heroes that you can summon in that game, and so I was leaning more towards. Edelgard's character, and when I got into the game, before I wanted to make my final decision, I went around and talked with everyone. I'm like, okay, I find more of an interest and connection with the characters in the Black Eagles. Yeah, that was essentially my logic, too. It was like, the Black Eagles has so many cute anime girls that I want to be around all the time. <laughs> I mean, how... Lindhart is the best anime girl. Lindhart is the best anime girl. In defense of the Golden Deer, though, it's hard to say no to Claude. It is hard to say no to Claude. Which is it's why I went with Yellow. The only thing is, it's hard to say no to Claude because I'm pretty sure Claude roofies everyone in his <laughs> life. And that was why I said no to Claude. From all the trailers and everything, Demetri didn't seem that interesting for me right off the bat. And Edelgard just seemed so much like... It just seemed like they were focusing so hard on her character. I didn't want to experience that one right off the bat. Yeah. And Claude, just the way the yellow uh, deer were just portrayed and how everything was set up with them. They seemed like the much more interesting route to go with because they seemed different from what farming games would have been so far. It was very clear the conflict later was going to be blue deer versus... Uh, blue, deer, blue, blue lions, lions versus, versus black, black eagles. eagles. Which, the fact that it's... The colors are blue, yellow, and red and it's blue blue lions, yellow deer, and black eagles for some goddamn reason pisses me off. Gold. It, yeah, it's not even blue, yellow, black. It's blue, gold, black. It's gold just, is pretty much yellow. Black is not accidentally red. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like they were very subtly hinting from the beginning. It's like, these are the three houses. There's the blue host, the yellow host, and the evil host. <laughs> I mean, more often than not, whatever team associated with black or red tends to be the bad guys. Oh, in yeah. Fire Emblem. Yeah. Fire Emblem's typically very thematic with its colors. Like, for example, Fates, the only other Fire Emblem game I really have any experience with. The Hashidans, the typical good guys, all red, gold, and white colors. And then the Norians, like edgelord black gold armor they're obviously the evil side hey stop your shit about nor <laughs> to come fair, over there with this game while it does definitely present the whole the black eagles are the evil house uh sort of present uh presentation it definitely also goes out of its way to justify their actions if you play through that storyline and so like none of the houses are like explicitly evil to play on that side it's just one of them is opposed to the other two, and that kind of makes them look like the bad guys. Yes, it more comes down to what your own ideals and goals are, and yeah. which character they more align with. Yeah, and the game seems to focus, even from the opening, more on your choices to fit a playstyle that works for you. Uh, one of the big things was, oh, the Black Eagles, they tend to focus more on magic. Their whole list of characters excel in that field. Whereas the blue lines are more like physical combat mounted lances. Yeah, they're all that. about knights and just and all that fun stuff. And so they, yeah, focus on melee and combat. Then, uh, the golden deer, my house, is just a bunch of archers and meme lords. Yeah, stay the fuck away from everyone else and just hit them from far away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like the story as it unfolds. Yeah. Uh, but essentially the game opens up. Uh, you don't pick your house right off the bat. There's a few intros uh, that you go through before that. Get uh, to know everyone a little bit before get, you make that choice. A good, pretty good cutscene of this big showdown between Saros and Nemesis uh, long ago. Doesn't it outwardly say that's what's going on, though? So but, I was a bit lost, but it ends up telling you later. I was like, oh yeah, Nemesis was long ago, and that's who you see get defeated in the opening. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where, like, it's just like a random battle that you don't have any of the context of, yeah, and I, then as you learn the details later on, you're like, oh, that was Nemesis versus Saros. Yeah, it doesn't tell you who the characters are, but it 
very obviously paints who's supposed to be the good person in the scenario, who's supposed to be the evil person. Yeah, yeah then, the one with the name Nemesis is not the good person. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, that immediately cuts into character creation, in a sense, where you're really just picking the name, but you pick male, female, Byleth, and then you give them their name, a la you are now meeting with, in dark room, Tiny Girl on Chair. Tiny Girl on Chair, who gives you very little details about who she is. Because she doesn't know who she is. But then, starts calling shit at your name. Yeah, it gives you... So, the fun thing about that is if you... Like, that one opened up, and she shows up, and she's like, Who are you? And I was like, I don't know who I am. Do I get to pick what, like, race I am? Because, like, you don't even get to see your own face. You just see, like, are you a demon? Are you a ghost? Are you a human? And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm a ghost. And I picked ghost. And she gives you so much fucking shit for not telling her the answer she's expecting to hear. She's like, go fuck yourself. I know you're not a ghost. Tell me the truth, you piece of shit. And then your character's just stoic face like a human, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you find out after naming your character and having a little back and forth. It was a dream. You wake up to your father, Geralt, who is... Uh, Geralt? Not Geralt. Another game. Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be cool if it was Geralt who was your Wouldn't father. be surprising. Uh, but essentially you find out that you're a mercenary and you're about to set out when all of a sudden three school kids come running to your village because bandits. Yeah, they're for some reason in the area that you are. They're headed to an officer's academy, but they got separated or something by bandits and they need your help. Yeah, so enter tutorial fight where Gerald just runs you through the basics. You get to meet the house leaders. You can even talk to them in the middle of combat and... Really simple mission, just go kill Bandit Leader. Uh, and Bandit Leader also gives you a little bit of information about your father figure, Gerald, who is known essentially countrywide as the Blade Breaker. He is a very powerful knight, apparently. Yeah, and this motive kind of continues on throughout because Alois shows up after the fight, yeah. and he's, like, gushing all over Gerald. Yeah. And there's a character later on, Leone from the uh, Yellow, uh, Yellow Deer, who also is just, like, number one fan of Gerald. Yeah. Also, so, since you mentioned Alois, I'm going to mention that he is the captain of the Knights of Saros, who's the order of knights that work at the uh, the main church of Saros. Also, at this point, I feel it important to point out, it's never explicitly said at this point that Geralt is your father in the opening, because when Alois first shows up, he asks you what your relation is to Geralt, and once again, I did not know the answer, so I guessed, and Alois gives me shit for being a jokester, and I'm like, I didn't fucking know he was my father! <laughs> Now, you I think I know at least some parts of my last 20-something years of my life? I don't know the exact number. Yeah. I just assumed he was my father, so I said that, and Eloise was still baffled. He's like, what? He has a kid? <laughs> he doesn't look that old. And um, we kind of skipped over a little thing here. Uh, Sophus, the little girl, does come back at this point, because uh, after you beat the bandit leader, he helps back up, just jumps back up on his feet from his back. You know, as you do. And charges at Edelgard at this time with the axe. And your character, being the cunning strategist he is, who actually apparently has a mercenary-like title that people know him by, was it the Ashen Demon or something like that? Ashen yeah. Demon. Decides that the best way to stop this axe is to use my back. <laughs> <laughs> Push Edelgard out of the way, block with the back. So, Sothis at this point kind of stops time to scold you for being fucking dumb. Which, at this point, I'm starting to side with Sothis over Bayless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, Sothis has this little conversation about, like, how do we deal with this situation? Oh, I know. Let's turn back the hands of time. And that unlocks the insanely helpful ability for the rest of the game of being able to turn back time every time you fuck shit up too bad. I think I've only used that three times, though. 
I used it a couple times, not so much to save characters from death, but more so because I realized that there are different characters I want in situations because I want my characters to level equally. So when I keep sending the same guy to fight everyone, he just power levels ahead of everyone else. True enough. After you wind back time, he then realizes, wait a second, I can block this with my sword and does it the right way. Oh my god. Needs the foreknowledge of the fact that axes may kill you to know to block the axe with a sword and you're supposed to be some demonic mercenary. Cold calculating murderer doesn't know axe to back is deadly. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe Byleth's just never taken an axe to the back and only knows that axe to other people's backs is deadly doesn't know what axe to her own or his own back. And here's do. where it starts getting a little bit weirder because right after this happens too, you actually have like a one-on-one with the three house leaders where they're all just kind of trying to recruit you right off the bat because you're so goddamn amazing from the situation. <laughs> Like, like, no, you, you almost fucking killed yourself. Like, no, like, oh, you blocked a single well, axe swing. Yeah, and that, to be fair, you turn back time, so they don't know you almost fucking killed yourself. <laughs> they only know that you blocked an axe attack and ran across the battlefield to get in the right place to do it. I mean, it. maybe they were thinking, things like, of course, the only way to stop that man is with an axe to the back. And then he comes up, swings it away with his sword. He's like, why don't we think of that? What? Swords can block axes? I thought only backs could do that. <laughs> this man is the one person we need to save our kingdoms. That's why they're heading to school. Uh, which is true. where they're going next. To be fair, they were also running away from school at this point. Although, that is very minimally explained throughout the story. Which, you do get a good feel for the characters themselves too at this point. Because when they're talking about why they got separated, they're like, But I was following Claude. He's like, what? I was just strategically running away. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want you to follow me because that meant they all came after us. You mean retreating. Eh, you can use whatever word you like. Yeah. Yeah, and then they all have, like, this power play of, like, Dimitri starts to try to recruit you in that moment. Edelgard cuts him the fuck off to recruit you more, uh, to recruit you first. Then Dimitri's like, let me finish, let me recruit them. And then Claude's like, guys, guys, calm the fuck down. I'm gonna flirt with this person for a year straight and then recruit them. <laughs> uh, so, eventually... It seems like, because uh, Geralt doesn't really want to go back, but he does anyways, goes back to uh, Garrick Mach Monastery, the Knights of Saros, to meet with Rhea, the lady of... The Archbishop of the whole religion. So this is where the game kind of gets into its starting point, really. Uh, Tutorial's done, you're meeting the houses. You find out, oh, you being the son of uh, the great blade breaker himself, who knows how to stop axes... You're going to be the professor at this yeah. school, so go pick a house. To everyone's surprise, your father's surprise, good old Seth's surprise, who is to like it, the best character in the game. It seems very rushed to everyone there except for Lady Rhea. And even to you, it's like, what the fuck, why am I a teacher now? But as you kind of start to learn the backstory and the lore, you very much so understand why Lady Rhea wanted you to be the uh, teacher at this school. Oh, definitely. And this is the point where it's you're getting used to... And uh, this is a part of the game mechanic I really enjoyed, that it didn't give you the full monastery right off the bat. It slowly expands. Which makes it a lot easier to get used to, because it was a bit overwhelming just looking at it. It's like, well, there's a lot of stuff going on here. It was massive. The hardest thing, or the thing that took me the longest for getting through the game, was at the start of each month when I had to go around the entire monastery and talk to everyone and look in every single room, because you never know where there's an item. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a long part of the game. Uh... I just, I love that one because it has the classic, like, role-playing exploration uh, mechanic of you can hold down B to sprint, but if you do, everyone you run past is going to be like, hey, whoa, professor, what are you doing? <laughs> Calm down. There's no need to run. It's like, I only have half an hour to complete the whole day. 
Yes, there's a need to fucking run. And uh, at this point, you get to meet uh, one-on-one now. You've already met the house leaders. Now you get some details about the characters, what the house leaders think of those characters, including themselves, and actually talk to the characters. And this is where I found probably one of my favorite characters. You walk up to Linhart, the Black Eagles. He's like, Linhart, goodbye. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you get to learn, like, a lot of the different kinds of characters. Yes, there's Linhart, the character who would much rather be asleep at any point in time, regardless of circumstances. Uh, I love, uh, Dimitri's explanation of his friend, uh, Sylvain. Yeah. Where he's just like, Sylvain's kind of a skirt chaser, but, I mean, I guess he's alright. And my favorite part about that is after that explanation, a little bit later in the game you get the chance to recruit people to your house, and it's usually this long, drawn-out process of you have to put on a lot of work making them like you, yeah, you getting need. skills that they're interested in. Yeah. If you're a girl, fucking Sylvain just joins your class immediately. He yeah. does not care what skills you have or how yeah. friendly you are. He's like, nope, female teacher, joining that class. Yeah, I was walking around talking to everyone. I saw that I had the option to recruit everyone right away. I'm like, yeah, they're probably not going to join my house, but I want to see what they say. I got across to Sylvain. He starts talking. I'm like, hmm, I think I have a feeling of this character. Since I chose the female Byleth character, yeah. he, I said to recruit him, fully expecting him to reject, and he's like, No, hey, you need yeah. to have cavalry and speed. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll join your house, sure. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like, excuse me, Professor, I was wondering, can I join your class and flirt with you endlessly for the next year? Yeah, it's like... The first cutscene that you see one of the other teachers, Manuela, you see Sylvain flirting with her also. <laughs> yeah. I think Sylvain just assumes he has a better chance with you than he does with Manuela. Yeah. Which I don't know that that's yeah, true. I don't know if that Manuela's <laughs> pretty loose. Yeah. Well, when you're going around talking to people, when you know, the first time you meet her in her, uh, Medical room. Uh, you go there, and he's like, "Oh, I like a professor that's Ford. Quick, lock the door." <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, so then you get to pick your house. Kind of drawn out, big moment. Setteth very much against this the whole way through. And your first mission assigned is you got to clear up some bandits. This is tracking down the bandits mm-hmm. who initially there ended up. Uh, you had to fight back in the tutorial mission. Well, they go to the canyon. Before that, there is the big test battle between you and the other houses to make uh, sure you have. A solid level of control over your... Yes, and then we go into the bandit fight. Yes. Bandit fight, you go off to the Red Canyon. At this point, this is where the story starts coming into place. We get a little bit more detail on uh, the Flame Emperor, who seems to be the super evil person pulling the strings from the shadows. This is actually the point when we learn that the little girl who's been talking to you's name is Sothis. We still don't have a lot of details on who Sothis is. We just now know that her name is Sothis. And she can control time, and she's in your head. Yes. And only you can see her, because she floats in your room. Yeah. yeah. This battle didn't really add much to the story. It was more of just one of those stepping stone battles I felt where you got used to more of the characters. Uh, at this point, I was already at the point where I was leveling up my characters to their first uh, class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fight itself doesn't have anything too excessive. Uh, and then it's really the next month where I find that everything starts stepping up, and this is where... Being in the Golden Deer, it wasn't a big moment for me, I guess, but there's the Lonado Rebellion. Yes. Uh, which is crazy if you're in the uh, Blue Lions, because Ash is one of your students in the Blue Lions, and Ash's adoptive father is Lord Lonado, who's yeah. going through the Rebellion. And, like, he's just having a mental breakdown that entire chapter. And uh, this is where I started getting very heavy into I need to recruit character because Ash was like, I need to recruit Ash right now. I need him. (laughs) Yeah, that's also when I started to uh, grow to like Ash. I'm like, hmm, I want him in my house. Yeah, Ash is phenomenal. I love him. Yeah, the ability alone to be able to pick the locks for doors and chests, pretty much making keys obsolete. Yeah. Yeah. That aside, he's still a really good character. Him and Petra. 
Petra's really fun. Petra's amazing. Petra's broken. I just love Petra. <laughs> well, we end up finding out this is where we get introduced introduction to uh, Catherine. Yeah. Uh, who is one of the Knights of Saros and has Thunderbrand, which, which is a pretty goddamn awesome sword. One yep. of the old hero relics, which are powerful weapons from the past. But you specifically need the uh, crest stone for that relic in order to yeah. use it. So, yeah. you, so nobles of this world have crests, well, can have crests inherited through their bloodlines yep. from saints of the past who are blessed with powers from the goddess. And in order to use one of these hero relics, you need to have a crest to actually be able to wield it. You might still suffer consequences from that. You To be able to be compatible with the weapon, you need the crest that actually matches the weapon. Yeah. And then uh, there are ways of subverting this because they have created small stones that also have the crests in, etched into them and are blessed with the goddess's powers. And so instead of actually needing the crest to be a part of your being... If you just have the physical crest stone, it can oftentimes act as a replacement, as we see in some later chapters with Host Gautier. This fight also introduces some of the fog mechanic, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I love the fog mechanic. Uh, but the fight goes exactly how expected to. Your team wipes Death out some Monado's force. Uh, and then, at this point, you find out that there's a conspiracy within the church, possibly, for kind of overthrowing Lady Rhea. There seems to be some discourse being spread. Uh, may or may not be linked to the Flame Emperor at this point. You want to know a really fun, and by fun I mean horrifying thing you can do during that chapter? You can force Ash to be the one to lay the killing blow against Lord Lenato. (laughs) And it's fucking horrifying. Do they actually give him dialogue for that? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, and because I guess the thing is too, because Blue Lines, Lenato is a vassal of Dimitri as well. Yeah. So... Like, how does the whole group act specifically? Because as the Golden Deer play through, they're like, yeah, lords are sometimes crazy like that. Uh, Sylvain is... Or not Sylvain. Uh, Dimitri... I just love Sylvain. I'm sorry. That's why I keep mentioning Sylvain. Sylvain's great. But uh, Dimitri, uh, he almost seems, like, disappointed in himself, from what I could tell. Like, the fact that, like, he couldn't have prevented uh, Lord Lenano. But then he does become very rigid of, like, we have to eliminate Lord Lenardo because dissent will not be accepted. We have to, like, cut out the purge at the root to ensure that it's gone. Uh, Which is an interesting stance for a human being to take, but sure. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, the main, like, kind of character stuff going on is through Ash. He's the one who has the most compelling story during this chapter. That's one of the things I like that Fire Emblem does a fair bit is depending on how you approach battles, characters will say different things. Like your first mock battle against the two other houses, if you charge right up the middle, like I did, then Claude says, oh, you're feeling bold. You're taking both our houses head on? All right. (laughs) Uh, In mine, I actually circled around through uh, Edelgard, who was on the left side behind the boards. I actually went around the tree line. It's like, what? What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, those are the main two options. It's either take them both on or go around through the tree line. And you get different responses from them depending on which one you do. Like, I did it uh, as the Blue Lions, and it's Claude who's trapped behind the trees. And he gets real freaked out because he's trapped between two powerful melee enemies as a ranged fighter. And then uh, the next part we get would be really where I find the game starts really throwing you into the story going on, which is your security for the tomb. Uh, So there's the Goddess Festival or something like that that's going on. I can't remember the exact name of it. Uh, but yeah. someone where she has to go into the goddess tower 
and you have to guard the facility. Yeah, because and, there's some sort of assassination attempt. Yeah, the assassination attempt that's planned life. for. And then your host comes to the logical conclusion that the assassination attempt isn't an actual attempt on Lady Rhea's life. It's a distraction to move all the forces into protecting her and ignoring the rest of the and, facility. Uh, just going to pipe in right here before we continue. In case it's not obvious right now, this is going to have a lot of spoilers. <laughs> so you oh, might yeah. want to play through the game first before you listen to any more of this. As always with literally any of our podcasts, if we're talking about a specific subject, it's going to be full of fucking spoilers for that subject. Very true. You come to the decision that this tomb is the most logical place that someone trying to infiltrate to steal something would go. Yeah, because so it's, it's only open once per year and all this fun stuff. Yeah, so you make your way down there. When you get there, you see that there's a bunch of cultists and black mages and the Death Knight just kind of standing around doing a ritual. And this is where you get, oh, we have to stop him before whatever he's doing is completed. You get a few turns. You have to complete this in. The Death Knight is between you and the objective. But he doesn't I do move, like thank yeah. God. I like how they very clearly set up. There's multiple ways to go about this. You can fight the Death Knight and die, or you can just circle around him and ignore him completely, and he will ignore you if you do so. Now, I want to point something out. Ignore the Death Knight? I laugh at that. I have Lysithia on my team. I walked her up, Dark Spike, and he's dead. Now, I didn't have that. I also did not have that. I honestly believe Lysithia might be the most busted character in this game, just stats-wise, especially if you go straight magic use for her. Because, uh, arguably, go, like even going ahead... Death Knight's probably one of the hardest things to fight in this game. Yeah. And she just kills him. Like, no question about it. I'm pretty sure the Death Knight checks under his bed for Lysithia when he goes to sleep. The Death Knight is definitely super difficult, especially with, like, his advanced counter or whatever the ability is, where, like, no matter what range you attack him at, he is able to counter, even though he can only attack at a melee range. And the fact that he just does insane fucking damage with his counterattacks... He's not a fun person to go up against. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I honestly believe you're, it's not expected for you to fight him at this time. No. It's probably be the third or fourth encounter when you encounter him. But yeah, the earliest out. point I was able to defeat him was, uh, I think, the third encounter with yeah. him. Yeah, the first encounter completely avoided him. Second encounter, I kind of skirted around him just to see how much damage I could do to him. But uh, I decided not to engage. The third time, and then onwards, I was able to one-shot him with Byleth. <laughs> yeah. You see, well, because by the third time you have the Sword of the Creator and you're fully capable of using its abilities. Oh, yeah. Me, I just killed him with Lysithia by accident the first time on it because I tried to fight him to see what happened. Because it's like, oh, I can just rewind time if it goes bad. And he makes the awful choice of deciding, I'm going to attack Lysithia. And then just he goes to swing, she had one health left, and she goes... And just, he's dead. I'm no. like, what the fuck just happened? You see, at this point I didn't want to try because I completely forgot I had the ability to rewind time. Uh, I also was aware I had the ability to rewind time, so I like set it up so I would just hammer into him and try and weak kill him on my turn before he could attack, because I didn't realize he could counter at any range. So I was like, I'll hammer at him with my range unit units, and then I'll get like a tough melee unit to get in there, swing at him for the kill. Uh, nope, kill my range units. I'm like, all right, quickly go back in time. Try this a different way, where I hammer him with my melee units who have got tough armor and will survive his counterattack, and then hopefully finish him off with a range unit who doesn't have to get countered. Nope, killed off my melee units in a single attack. And I was like, alright, cool. Fucking avoiding the death right now. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I got one time rewind left. I am not fucking around anymore. <laughs> but that encounter ultimately ends in uh, you stopping the Dark Mage from opening the tomb and well, getting what he was technically after. technically you don't stop well, him from opening you it. You stop him from doing what he was trying to get. Yeah, you get the Sword of Creator instead, which was in the tomb. It 
and ends have, up flying to the air and choosing you as its wielder. You do have the very fun realization that even though it doesn't have a crest stone, you can use it even though its crest should be increasingly rare and not existent in human beings in this day. Yeah. But boom, you get it. You use it. You're cool. Everything's grand. Yeah, but no one really questions it except Sedith. But Lady Rhea puts him in his place and you get to keep the sword. Yeah. It's discovered that you have the crest of the flame, uh, crest of flames, which the only ever other known possessor of this crest, which is supposedly passed down through generations of reproduction, was Nemesis, the ancient king from a long time yep. ago, who was killed off before he had any children. So it should not be and feasibly possible. I'm sure that won't come back at, up. At this point, you're told that Nemesis was known as the King of Liberation, and he originally started off. As a good person with good intentions, it's like which, killing some like evil individuals, but then he got corrupted by his crest's power. Which makes sense according to lore, because according to the lore of the game, the only way for someone to get a crest is for the goddess to have gifted them with the crest, which supposedly happened to all of the ancient sages, and then it's been passed down from then since then. So it makes sense that if he's the only one who has the Crest of Flames, he was given to it by the goddess. And so he was probably on her side at one point in time. After this month, this is where we get the next Blue Lines-focused mission, the House of Gautier. Yes. Where uh, Sylvain's older brother, Mikan, or uh, Miklan? Miklan. 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 Takes the, uh, I believe it's the Lance of, Lance of Spear of Ruin. Spear of Ruin. Whatever. Lance, Lance of Ruin. Spear. Lance, Lance of Ruin. Ruin. Yeah, and this is where you have to essentially chase him up a tower and... Take it back. Yeah, and that's when you find out that you don't need a crest to wield one of these hero relics. You just need a crest to be able to draw out its power. You do find out there are some really bad side effects. Yes. Uh, if you wield a crest that you are not attuned... If you don't have a crest and wield a uh, hero, hero relic. relic with a crest stone, it has the chance to corrupt your body and turn you into some sort of monstrosity. Yeah, and, and again, in the same uh, vein here, I was playing Golden Deer... They didn't really care too much. The only thing that really spooked them was like, oh, that guy turned into a monster. Uh, let's beat that, I guess. And then you defeat it. And Mikulan's body is remaining. And same with the spear. And you take it back. Once again, uh, we get the really cool... So there were some really cool discussions in both my playthroughs. Because at this point, I still was playing through both houses. Uh, playing through the Blue Lions with Sylvain. You get to talk to him a lot about his brother. And like... He makes it very clear he has no regrets about being the one to go kill his yeah. brother. In fact, he's he looking wants, forward to he it. He wants to be the one who makes the killing blow because his brother's been a piece of shit since he was born. Uh, whereas, if you're playing through the Black Eagles, you get a very different impression from Edelgard because Edelgard is of the opinion that uh, Miklan has kind of rallied all these forces around himself and the only reason he's had to do that for evil is because he was born with Oda Crest. So Edelgard uh, kind of has this long speech about how Miklon isn't evil, it's the concept of crests that are evil, and it's kind of the fact that we're so obsessed with crests and the fact that he couldn't inherit his house's titles without a crest is the only reason that this powerful leader is working for the forces of yeah. evil instead of the and forces of at, good. And it's at this point that you start to get some insight into Edelgard's background, and even more when you start building up your relationship with her that she despises the thought of nobility and the thought that crests dictate your position in life. Because like uh, Sylvain and Miklon, Miklon was the firstborn, but he didn't have a crest, so as soon as Sylvain was born and had a crest, his parents immediately tossed Miklon aside and gave uh, Sylvain the right of heirship. So it should be noted at this point, because we've kind of mentioned it 
off to the side that throughout this game as you build up your support levels with the different characters you get like special little cutscenes that give you some backstory into those characters and some more knowledge about who the characters are um if you build up those support levels between two non-player characters you just get fun little cutscenes where like fucking uh different characters like chase each other around and have weird conversations about how well, they don't fit together. Yeah. But you do that with the player character, Byleth, and any of them, and you actually get to learn a lot of the backstory about these characters. Yeah. That one ends with you getting the spear back, and then you have to determine if you're giving it back to the people, holding it, all that stuff. Uh, and then we get into the next mission, which adds some a lot, a lot of interesting mechanics, like, not mechanics, but aspects to the game, uh, where the church's mascot, Flame, was stolen, and we find out it was probably the Death Knight, and the cool thing about this is it starts saying, well, it's probably someone in the school as a Death Knight. And it starts playing with that idea a lot, especially in the Golden Deer. Yeah. Uh, now, I will say outright, in the Golden Deer route, we never get a definitive, this is who the Death Knight is. But even at this point, it's playing with, maybe it's Claude, maybe it's Dimitri, maybe it's Edelgard. Well, maybe it's Yuritsa. In the path that I chose for the Black Eagles, because in the Black Eagles you get one of two different options for paths you can take later on in the game. Yeah. The Wh one I chose, we kind of... Which of the two did you choose, Matt? I sided with the church. Okay. But the path I went, everyone suspects that it was one of the instructors at the academy, Yuritsa. Yeah, but no was, one knows for certain. It was the same deal in here. Even though it's like, I'm pretty sure it was, it did a, a lot of work into hinting it could be a, quite a few people. Uh, the ones I've mentioned that it's like, oh, maybe Tomas took her. Maybe it was Shamir. Maybe it was Yuritsa. And then even during the fight, there's characters that disappear. And it's like, well, maybe it's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I believe specifically your host leader leaves at the beginning of that fight regardless. And you so, find that they disappeared after. they Because they take Manuela, who figured out who it was, yeah. back to... Uh, the, like to the, the get, infirmary. The, and then apparently they disappeared between that time and getting back to you. Yeah. So it could, in theory, be anyone uh it's very heavily implied because it also doesn't explain it in the blue lion's route that the death knight could be yurita it's never like explicitly definitively proven so it also could be any other character unless i just fucking missed something real bad <laughs> like i'm inclined to believe that it is yurita mainly because nothing really touched on him and he was kind of enigmatic nothing mattered about him too much that and there's and, points later in the game too where certain people who are considered to possibly be the Death Knight are dead or unable to be the Death Knight in that moment. Yeah. yeah. And Yurisa's really the, kind of the only one that, and at that point, seems like, well, he's the only one who's not around. And as I, soon as that whole incident happens, Yurisa's gone and the Death Knight is I feel not like around anymore. I feel like the one storyline we haven't played through is the one that's going to definitive, definitively say who the Death Knight is, but let's get into that storyline a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. so... You end up going down to the basement of the church and you find a dungeon full of evil cultists, again. essentially. And the Death Knight, and there's two people <coughs> two people there. Flame. Unconscious plane. And a student that went missing a year ago, Monica. And there's not a lot of explanation as to what the fuck's up with Monica. Just like, she went missing a year ago and everyone assumed she just kind of left school, you know, as you do. And, and to emphasize how strong the Death Knight is at this point, the game gives you two options to beat this mission. You can kill everyone... Or just the Death Knight. You kill just the Death Knight, you win. You kill everyone but the Death Knight, you still win. Right. I was actually right. This fight, I was actually lining up my units to kill the Death Knight, but then I inadvertently killed the final unit. 
yeah, in I, there because I left one of my units in range of that person and he moved up to attack <laughs> only to kill himself. Yeah, that's what happened to me too. I was planning on taking out the Death Knight. Uh, someone decided to attack one of my units and I counterattacked against them, killing them. And I was just like, I don't want to do this mission over again just to kill the Death Knight. I'll go ahead without killing the Death Knight just this once. <laughs> and after you do that, you rescue the two victims. Uh, everyone's happy. Setastuff's being such a hard ass towards you. And then we move into the month that has probably one of my favorite missions, the Battle of the Eagle and Lion. The Battle of the Eagle and Lion is phenomenal. That was fun. I love that one because it's essentially what the first mission of your training against the other two houses could have been. But instead of it being just the other two houses against you, it actually splits you into three separate houses and gives you two goals. It's first goal, be the last team standing. Second goal, get the most fucking kills. So if you just hang back and watch... You'll probably win the mission, but you won't actually, like, get the bonus reward for killing the most other people. The whole fight is a yearly event that happens traditionally because of a whole war that was waged between the Empire and the Kingdom in the Which past. is why the Golden Deer is not listed in there, and it's the big battle of Gonderfield. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I will say, this is probably where a lot of the inner development of Golden Deers really starts because where all the missions up to this point don't really focus on their house. This is where I felt there was a bit of story developing on their end. Especially with uh, a lot of side stuff of Claude just thinking of ways on poisoning the other houses with diarrhea. I also really enjoyed the paralogues that happen at this point. Uh, well, that start to happen at this point. Like, for instance, earlier on you mentioned how after uh, completing the quest to kill Miklon... Uh, you're given the option of uh, keeping the Lance of Ruin for yourself or giving it back to its noble family. And if you have Sylvain in your house and you give it back, you're just given a paralogue later to do something for Sylvain's family, and as a reward, they give you the Lance of Ruin. So, no matter what, you're not locking yourself out of getting the Lance of Ruin. Yeah. But going into the, uh, the Battle of the Eagle and the Lion, up until this point, I typically always play very defensively. I move most of my units as a squad with my front lines changing depending on what units I'm going up against. This one, this battle particularly, I knew I had to be a little more aggressive to get more kills than the other houses to win. So I split up and went on the offensive, and I feel so, so bad for Ignatz from the Golden Deer. Oh no. Because as soon as the battle started, like the first turn in, he moves up and he says how excited he is to finally take part in this oh, epic battle. Oh, he gets <laughs> fucking dunked on! As soon as his turn ends, it's my turn, I rush up, smack him in the face and one-shot down him off the field. Uh, uh, I did handle this a bit differently. I marched the unstoppable Raphael as an armored knight at this point, right down the middle with Alessithia and Ignatz behind and just took that middle pedestal and said Ignatz is sniping people with the uh, a ballista. I did the same strategy with that with Edelgard as my tanker and followed with Bernadetta as my archer. And uh, literally I just I decided I'm taking the middle and I'll let everyone come to me. Uh, that's pretty much what I did as well except I kind of split into three groups of three and I had one group go down uh, and just decimate Lorenz too Lorenz was also like oh I'll handle them for us and I was like nah nah you won't you're gonna fucking die like a bitch um and then I had the other group go take on Lady Edelgard down in the southeast 
and just had my main troop just march down and take the pedestal and just fire on anyone who did not come to me. Pretty much. Essentially a pincer moving over where I pushed them towards the center and then killed them from the center. <laughs> I just forced them to pincer me and then they died. Yeah. This battle, if if you do get the mission, you get some fun items out of it. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't really have much effect on the story itself. The characters all kind of like, hey, this is pretty fun. Let's go have a grand feast. And everyone's all friendly and chummy. Yeah. And, and all of the NPCs around the monastery are all happy and kind of surprised that the host leaders are all getting together in celebration because of this. Uh, and then we move into something I called long before. We have a village that is being poisoned by some mysterious ailment that could be magical or viral. You get it just so happens to be the village you started at at the beginning of the yeah. game. Now, the big reveal of this one is that Tomas was evil the whole time. And here's the funny thing. As soon as the first time I met Thomas, like, I don't trust this guy. Uh, and yeah, a weird old guy who left the, like, chapel around the same time that fucking Geralt, di uh, Geralt did and came back just before you guys. Like, nah, 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 nah. Now, the thing I'll say about this is, up to this point, I was positive Tomas was the Death Knight. I was like, he's definitely going to be the Death Knight. It's going to be this man. I don't want to trust him a little bit. Of course, it does turn out that he's not the Death Knight, but he was still evil. Yeah. Now, I didn't have any suspicion of him until it got to when you're trying to figure out what happened to Flane and who the Death Knight was, and people are like, hey, Tomas was asking about you and Geralt. I'm like, hmm. I mean, that's not suspicious. He just looks suspicious. Yeah. Also, uh, to be fair, up to this point, there's... Um, have either of you played Persona 4? I have not. Okay, so there's a character named uh, Adachi who, spoiler for that game, is the big villain, in a sense, who is the serial killer. But every time something happens, he just conveniently shows up and gives you information accidentally that helps you with your investigation to track down the next person. Tomas was doing that, I don't know if in your roots, but in the Golden Deer route, there's a part where you're in the library and you're looking through stuff. And then Tomas comes up and he's like, hmm, I heard the church has secret buildings and secret documents that stuff. And then Claude's like, hmm, we should investigate the church. And then he'll also show up and it's like, oh, what's this? Uh, the monsters that you end up fighting. There's documents about the monsters and all that stuff. Uh, and at this point, you're like, oh, I wonder what's going on here. Instead, it's like, oh, what are you guys reading? It's like, oh, we just found this. It's like, hmm, I think that's from Thomas's, uh, Tomas's private collection. I'll take that back to him. And it's like, there's a lot of suspicious stuff going on with Tomas up to this point. I'm like, that he's definitely was, showing up to just give us information. That was not a thing in yeah, the blue I, line. I didn't have that at either. Because yeah, uh, early on in the, in the roots, uh, Claude starts being suspicious of the church, in a sense, and starts investigating them. And this is just stuff that starts coming up during his investigation, essentially, where Tomas just kind of spoon-feeding information to us that just made him seem suspicious to me. To be fair, early on in the route, I became suspicious of the church, specifically because of Lady Reyes take no prisoners fucking hold to anyone who does not immediately bow down to the church. That's fair. Like, fucking the Lord Lenato Rebellion, and like... There are members of that church who come over, and they're like, we have information to give you. And she's like, nope, you get death. That is what you get. You get no more minutes of life to explain why you did what you did. You get death. But we have the identities of the people behind this. No, you're being executed right now. <laughs> uh, and in this fight, it, it's one of those fun mechanics where you have to save the villagers uh, before stuff happens. As you're doing this, Death Nut shows up. Just coincidence. I nope. sent Lysithia to deal with him, yep. and I killed Tomas. Well, didn't kill him. He escapes, but... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what does Tomas's name become? Solomon. Yeah. Solomon, that's right. Uh, so this is where you find out also that there seems to be some connection with the Flame Emperor to these other people. And 
The Flame Emperor actually ends up approaching you after this fight, saying, oh, trust me, I had nothing to do with this, and I would have stopped them if I could. You should join me. And you're given the option of, sure, I'll join you, or not. And then I, I didn't accept it because I don't trust the Flame Emperor. Yeah. But I've also heard that if you do the other one, it's just like, I know you're lying. And then they just leave. Yeah. Okay. I know you would never trust me this early on. You're just trying to get close to me so you can kill me. Yeah, because I didn't accept the uh, Flame Emperor's proposal there because despite the fact that they don't like what Solomon and those others are doing, they're allied with them. They chose to ally with that person because they're after the same goal. Of course yeah. I'm not going to side with the Flame Emperor. So uh, this next mission, though, after this one, is where the tone of the game shifts pretty heavily. And this is uh, that there's rumors of people breaking into the chapel just outside Garak Mach that's in ruins. And eventually, a bunch of students go in, and then a bunch of monsters come out. And like, what's going on there? You go there, yeah. you end up fighting, and this is where we find out Monica, who is... People were a bit suspicious before, is actually working with the evil people, and she murders Gerald. Now, you do yeah. try to time jump back to stop it, but then uh, I believe it's Solomon. Uh, nope, not Solomon. It's the big bad. who It's like Thales, or whatever his name oh, is. Thales, yeah. Thales. Yeah, Thales. Uh, ends up showing up to stop you, and he still dies. Yeah. yeah. And this is where Sotha explains, like, oh, I guess it was fated to do that way. But I'm thinking, like, no, you can turn this back in front. You can turn back time to before the fight start. And it's like, hey, Gerald, uh, there's, like, over there. just Because he wasn't really helpful in that fight, like, honestly. Hey, Gerald, Monica's going to come out of there. Don't trust her. <laughs> if you see him, if you see him go red hair, just kill him. Yeah, just jump back to, like, before the fight and just, like, kill Monica real quick. When this happens, the game does shift very heavily. And, like, the, the Garrick Mock background music gets really sad and somber. Everyone's really depressed. I, one thing I really enjoyed about this is, like, all, throughout the game, a lot of the characters that you interact with uh, comment on the fact that you are becoming more and more emotional and, like, smiling more over the course of the first half of yeah, the game. Because your character was known in their mercenary group as the Ashen Demon because you were never showing any emotion. You killed without any sign of sympathy at all, just stone cold. Even, apparently, you learned... When you were born, you didn't cry, you didn't make a sound. Yeah, even your father comments on the fact that you showed no emotions. Yeah. Um, but if you, as you go on, your other characters start to comment on the fact that you're becoming more and more kind of like expressive. Uh, and then after this happens with your father, everyone comments on the fact that you've completely regressed and you're no longer expressing yourself at all. Yeah. And as you start to participate in missions and stuff, people are just like, thank God you're coming out of your funk. Like, you're allowed to mourn, but like... I, we don't want to see you go back. You're coming back to who you were. It in. also hit so hard in the cutscene when Gerald died is that you're holding his head there, and for the little bit he still has consciousness, he's like, oh, I'm both happy and sad at the same time. Because you're, you're crying. The first time you cry, and it's for me, and then he dies. Yeah. Uh, now, the thing about this is it was a sad moment, but I don't think I was hit as off guard by it because up to this point... You're finding out things like, oh, I'm going to tell you eventually. And then oh, he's yeah. like dropping lines like, if I ever die, search this room because there's stuff around here. And yeah. you're like, no, don't do that. It's, it's like, he was very much like playing the I'm a week away from retirement card there for most yeah. of the game. The moment so, where he was like, there's some stuff we, I have to talk about, to you about. Let's wait until you get back to the castle. You get back to the castle. He's like, there's still some stuff I have to talk to you about, but they're sending me on a mission. We'll be on a mission together after this. After that mission, I'll tell you about it. You get to the mission. He's like, all right, after this, we got to have a talk. It's like, there's no way you're making it through this fucking well, mission. Well, even too, at this point, it's like, uh, Lady Ray is like, we're assigning uh, Knight of Saros to be a part of your team. And then Jarrett walks in like, got me on your team now. It's like, okay, he's dying this month, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. That's the first time that I started going down to the graveyard, because that's also the first time you have access to the graveyard. 
or shortly before that anyway. But that's when I started to notice, because every day that I explored the monastery after that, I'd always, just out of respect for Gerald, go down to the grave. <laughs> there, right beside his grave is another grave that you can't interact with, but there's a dog just sitting in front of that grave every time you go down there. I did not notice that. Uh, now, this is where uh, probably there was another deviation between our three playthroughs, because once that happens, the next month, the knights are out looking for Monica, the murderer, uh, who we find is Kronia, one of these uh, other enemy people. The, and those who slither. You find Geralt's journal. journal. Yes. yes. So at this point, because Claude's the main interaction, he asks if he can have the journal to further his investigation, and he's the one who ends up cracking the whole information of, oh, you were actually born here in the monastery and all this information. And he ends up piecing everything together, going into the end of the pre-time skip stuff. So, for my playthrough, it was actually Sophus who cracked that code. Uh, you didn't really share it with anyone else. But, like, as you're reading through it and you start to get some of the details and start to realize you were born at the uh, monastery, you don't get any of the other details. You just get that you were born at the monastery. And Sophus, like, points it out to you. And then Seneth walks in and he's like, Ah, oh, I'm going to take that because that might be important things that I need to know. And then you get to find out more of your backstory from Seth complaining to fucking Lady Rhea about the shit she did in the past. Yeah, that's pretty much the same thing that happened for me. So pretty much it seems that if you're doing Golden Deer, Claude's the one who cracks all the mysteries and comes to you with it. And every other route, it's just yeah. people kind of stumble into it. Yeah. It's just like there's the kingdom, there's the uh, empire, and then there's the alliance, which is kind of has always been the old liar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then... Eventually, at the end of the month, where all the investigation's going on, you really want to get to the killer, you find out the killers have revealed themselves, and you have to persuade Rhea to let you go. Really, Claude does most of the persuading in this route. Uh, yeah, in my route, uh, the Dimitri did most of the explaining, as did Edelgard when I played through at yeah. that house. Uh, and, like, they do most of the argument of, we should be allowed to go there, and then the moment Lady Rhea's on board, they're like, just to be clear, this is 110% a fucking trap, just so you know. Yeah. We're walking right into a trap. Oh, yeah. Which it turns out it was, because after you defeat Kronia, you end up uh, getting... Uh, Sealed by Solomon in a different plane of darkness. Yeah, pure darkness, he uses uh, Kronia's life to create the gate or something. Yeah. And you the only way to get out of there is with the power of a goddess. Yeah. Pr prior to this encounter, though, you learn from Rhea that the name of the goddess, which they keep secret for whatever reason, plot device... They just don't like to say it. ...is uh, Sothis. And then your Sothis inside you is like, wait, that's my name. That can't be... I'm not a god, though. Or am I? I'm confused. Yeah. And then tired. Yeah, you then find out that she's the Petrander god. She sacrifices her essence in a sense not yeah, she doesn't disappear or die but she's no longer connected yeah, to you in that way she fuses her soul to yours yeah so you then gain the power then we get the really cool scene of him slithing through the air to like jump out of the gate yeah. and you go and finally defeat Solon. and everyone comments on your new hair and eye color yeah so this is where Rhea really realized like oh this is the child that uh, i was waiting for that has the power of sothis uh, so is it the next month that you're Brought to the keep underground. Yeah, to so you go to a yes. tomb to sit on the throne to get your revelation, just like Saros did multiple years ago. Doesn't quite work out that way for it, you. No. You go there, you're about to do the whole thing, you sit on the throne, nothing happens, and all of a sudden, we have people just kick in the door and wreck the party. It's the Imperial Army! And yeah. they're being led by the Flame Emperor. Yep. As, you know, you do. 
Um, now, is it actually... The- yeah, it, it was actually the Flame Emperor for you? When I go in, it's the Flame Emperor standing okay, at the end it's of the not story. the Flame Emperor in one of the three playthroughs. It's different for me. Oh. So, okay, so since you said... Or finish your whole... So we actually have a bit to talk about with yours, because there's a lot of developments oh, yeah, with the Black Eagles in this one. At this point, uh, you do a little thing. The Flame Emperor standing on the end, and they're with the Imperial Army. So mm-hmm. the objective for this mission is defeat the Flame Emperor, and you have to work your way back to the entrance of the tomb to defeat the Flame Emperor, and it ends with the big reveal, which is probably going to be getting into with your playthrough there, Matt. Yeah, so yeah. we'll wait on the reveal. Yeah, so continue with your part. I definitely expect right. there's no, going to be we'll some difference. Finish up your part until the reveal of who the Flame Emperor was. Well, that is it. You just fight your okay, way over okay. to the end of the tube right, to so defeat the Flame Emperor. Before, so it's very much the same as the Blue Lions. It's the Flame Emperor and all that stuff. When you're playing through as the Black Eagles, though, earlier on in the month during exploration... You're given an opportunity to go on a little vacay with Edelgard back to yeah. her home. Did you actually take up her offer and go with her? No. Okay, so if you do go with her, I actually chose to go with her because I was planning on doing the evil route before my game got fucking deleted. <laughs> um, so if you go with Edelgard to her castle, uh, you actually watch her uh, kind of forcibly take the crown uh, and become the new lord of the land. Uh, and the really fun part about... Th- or not the lord, the new emperor of the land... The really fun part about this is you also get to see uh, Ferdinand's dad show up and be very opposed to this, and she, her being like, no, I'm the fucking emperor, you're going to jail now, and she literally locks away Ferdinand's father for being a <laughs> yeah. piece of shit. Uh, and then, yeah, we get back to uh, the keep, and we go underground, and it's very much the same way you described it, except instead of the Imperial Armor being led by the Flame Emperor... It's led by the actual Emperor, Edelgard. Yeah. yeah. Now, for me, prior to this, I was building up Edelgard's, uh, my support with Edelgard. My, I get my first support, I start to learn a bit about her background. I get her second support, and she reveals to me that she has a second crest. The Crest of Flame, just as your crest. Oh, that's So cool. let's, let's actually go into her backstory, because her backstory is fascinating to me. Essentially, the first time you build up a support level with her... You find out that uh, as a child she had a lot of other siblings, and she has nightmares now because she's the only sibling, uh, only one of that bunch who's made it to adulthood, because all of them either went insane or died of drowning or stuff like that. So there, and there's some sort of massacre also. There's some sort of massacre also. You don't get a lot of specific details. You just realize she's the only one of her family who actually, or of her like sibling group that survived to adulthood, and it's clearly left some trauma on her. In her second uh, kind of bonding moment, you learn a lot more about her, which is that uh, she was not born with any crests, uh, and none of her siblings were either, but in order to rule the Empire, you needed to be born with a... or you needed to have a crest. So her father locked her and all of her other siblings in a dungeon and performed experiments on them, trying to draw out a crest inside all of them, which she ended up getting the minor crest of something or other which is the crest she presents to most people during the game uh and then later on she also develops the crest of flames but it's this backstory that leads to her kind of doing all the moves she does because her father's obsession with the new emperor having a crest and forcing him to torture all of his own children causes her to realize that crests are a blight upon society and she wants to remove everyone with crests and all nobility that's responsible for this whole belief that crests are all important that's also why she raids the church at this point 
because she wants to collect all the crest stones from the tomb so that she can destroy the crest stones as well so that there's no remnants of crests yeah. anywhere in the world. So I had that revelation, and she showed me she had the crest of flame, I'm like, oh god, you're probably the flame emperor. Please no, but you're just going to be. Then later on, that month where she asks if you want to go to the imperial, or to the empire capital with you, with her, and when the menu pops up, the screen goes black, the music cuts out, <laughs> and you just hear in the background just your character, or you just hear a heartbeat. And I had to put my hand on my chest because I felt my heartbeat accelerate. I'm like, wait, is that the game I'm hearing, or is that actually my heartbeat? <laughs> uh, and it just gives you the very stern warning that following through with this choice, or being careful about what choice you make, because this make choice a... will have an impact on the rest of the game. Yeah, and so I decided to stay at the church, and Edelgard's like, oh, okay. And then disappears, and the next battle, I have Edelgard with me. Hubert's gone. I'm like, well, Hubert's my, uh, Hubert was my best caster unit. And so I'm kind of sad at that. Then the next fight is the one in the tomb. I don't have Edelgard going into the battle. Or, like, Edelgard's gone from the school, so I'm not having her into the battle. Hubert's also gone. I'm like, well, great. There's my two best units aside from my main character <laughs> gone. And then the cutscene starts. You sit on the throne. Nothing happens. Doors burst in. Edelgard comes in with her army. Still no sign of Hubert, though, suspiciously. Yeah. And she gives the order to steal all the crest stones in there and kill anyone who stands in her way, and a switch just flips in me at that moment. I'm like, she is dead. <laughs> she does make the very uh, earnest request that you stand in her way, because she is determined to follow through with her plans, but does not want to harm you or any of her classmates in the process. So she very earnestly asks you to stand down so that she doesn't have to kill you or anyone else in the process. At this point, though, up until now, I've been playing very defensively for every mission. <laughs> this point, I went full aggression. All her units went to the sarcophagus on the sides to get crest stones. I just sent my two cavalry units charging up the sides, <laughs> destroying everything yeah. as the rest of my force went up the middle, right to Edelgard, cut off that back highlight highlighted tile, which I assumed was an escape route or something. It was uh, how the people who were collecting crest stones were going to get away. Okay. If they I, got there, they would escape with the crest. Okay. I put a unit there, cut off her potential escape, and then just destroyed her with Baelith. And... Uh, so then, after that, if you have gone with her to the Empire, you still have to play through the whole thing and still have to fight her, even if you know that she's the Emperor. After that, though, uh, you corner her, uh, with Lady Rhea by your side, and Lady Rhea gives you the order to kill Edelgard in that moment. And you're given two options. I think you're given two options no matter what, if I remember correctly from the Blue Lions. Um, but if you aren't, if you haven't been with her to the Empire, the two options are do nothing or try to kill her. And if you have been with her to the Empire, the options are try to kill her or protect her from Lady Rhea. And that's where you get a really cool reveal, because if you choose to stand with her against Lady Rhea, you turn around and stand in front of her between Lady Rhea and her, and Lady Rhea turns into a fucking dragon. She's like, nope, I'm gonna fucking kill you. And Edelgard's like, so, Professor, now you see who really rules the world, and then Hubert shows up and teleports you the fuck away, because you are not ready to fight a fucking dragon. That's fair. <laughs> uh, in the yellow uh, golden deer route, you don't get that reveal until the next mission that she's a dragon. Which, to be fair, I had my suspicions mm -hmm. up to this point, because green hair, magical powers, 
tends it's to be a fire emblem staple. Yeah. yeah. Was around when uh, Gerald was also around at the monastery before, and Gerald was apparently, as he left it in a conversation while drunk with Eloise, that he's over a hundred years old. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, the next mission uh, at this point was Edelgard got away, and she's bringing the army to take out the church. And yep. you have to stand with them. Uh, and at this point, pretty much your allies are locked for who you've recruited. You just are building up that last little bit before the army comes in, before the time skip. So it's this large battle where it's Edelgard, a bunch of forces charging the army, and you have to just protect Lady Rhea. The fight is honestly a pretty easy one, especially where I just had Raphael, who is a fortress knight at this point, walk down the middle and say, come at me. Yep. Yeah. And I had my assassin, Petra, who... Petra becomes I've, fucking devastating. I've, and I boosted her movement so she could move yeah. all, pretty much as far as cavalry units and one-shot anyone she came across. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The trick is give Petra a movement ring and then get the fuck out of her way. Yeah. You throw anyone else in there, they, like, wick away at an enemy, and then Petra's like, oh, you're less than half health? That means you're dead. <laughs> uh, after the fight is defeated, though, you find out, oh, you defeated the advance force. The main army's still coming. And they goes to a cutscene. You see this massive force moving into Garrick Mock. Yeah. It's at this point where Lady Rhea's like, you're in charge of the church now. I'm not letting another massacre happen. Turns to the dragon, starts fighting the beasts. You try to save her and you get knocked off a canyon. Boom. Time skip. You find out you were there for like five years. Yeah. You're asleep for five years when Linhart finds out he's incredibly jealous. Yep. I only get to sleep for five days. Uh, so in regards to the time skip, uh, was there any other big differences between, aside from just the how the Edelgar reveal happened? Because I know like, for example, Claude really steps up in this moment. He's like, they might have a bigger army and more forces that are better trained, but if we play this smart, like he gets really calm, cool, collected, and you start seeing, you know the leader of the Alliance Claude mm. really starting to show up at this point? Uh, so I... This was the point when I lost my game save. I didn't actually get to play through this chapter, so I don't know much from the evil Edelgard perspective, but you just kind of see Dimitri get real fucking mad that anyone would dare pull shit like this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, you see Lady Rhea, from my perspective, you see Lady Rhea get furious, and... The only difference is your classmates, your students, are very upset and concerned and questioning of everything that's going on. But it was, everything else is pretty much what you still had. It's like Lady Rhea comes in at the end when you finally take uh, Edelgard down. It's like, kill her! And then the next chapter, I had the same reveal with the dragon. That's fair. Uh, yeah, the dragon reveal came there, uh, and then... You're kind of you're unconscious for five years somehow. Yeah. The villager finds you and is like, "Oh, what's going on?" And you know, <laughs> don't go into the castle. It's just bandits up there. You're finally awake. Uh, yeah, it's fun little reveal. I I really want to go back and uh, actually finish the evil uh, Edelgard playthrough now, just because I want to see if they handle the time skip the same way. Well, that's the interesting thing too about this is that the game for the most part is pretty much fully standard in the school days part, and then the time skip, I feel like it probably shifts very heavily depending on who you're siding with. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like the first half is very much the same. It's just, like, minor differences in how information's told yeah. out. I feel like the second half is just four different games. And, and that's the thing, too. Like, with the uh, Golden Deer, I felt like, for the most part, they're observers through most of the school stuff, and then after the time skip, that's where they really start shining, and you actually feel like they're doing stuff in the story. Mind you, I still feel like... They were just kind of there for most of the story, even even though I love the Golden Deer. Yeah. 
But essentially, what's going on is, Baelith is like, I gotta get back to the school, because it's exactly the eve of five years of that festival, and yep. he made a promise with all of his students he'd meet back up with them. Of course. Oh, yeah. That reminds me, too, when I get when we get back up to the school. So we get back up to the school. Now, for my one, I encounter Claude, who is looking very dapper at this point, wearing, like, his regalia and all that stuff, just staring at a window. It's like, oh, I knew you'd show up. And then you go fight some bandits. Uh, for me, you meet up with Dimitri, who I'll describe as rugged. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit psychotic. Black armor and eye patch. Yeah. Yep. Now, for me, I have a cutscene. First one there is actually the person who suggested the meeting to me, Edelgard. Edelgard's there in her full empress gown, crown, and everything. Thinking it's stupid, no one else is going to show up. Then you show up. And she asks, it would be kind of silly to ask you to join me now. And then there's a little bit of a sword fight, and Edelgard leaves. Fun, 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 fun. Do you fight the bandits still afterwards? Oh yeah, Sedith then shows up, and you're like, what, you're here, you're alive? We were looking everywhere for you. And then bandits show up, you go in with Sedith to take out the bandits, and then one by one your classmates start to trickle in from the sides. Yeah, because that was one of the ones I was curious about, because... Uh, going the church route, who is the person that starts off that fight with you? And it being Seth makes a lot of sense because he's kind of the second in command of the church now. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to deem it from now on the church route is the Seth route, and yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. One true pairing, Byleth and Seth. <laughs> <laughs> and Man, then uh, I wish I invited him to tea more often. <laughs> and, and during this fight with the bandits, you just kind of slowly your classmates are or your students are trickling in and helping out with the fight. Yeah. Only your students from that core class show up, though. Yeah. So anyone you recruited does not show up during this fight. Yes. Because as you find out after the fight ends, is not everyone comes back, and some people trickle back in at a slower rate. I think Raphael... I can't remember having to recruit Raphael again, so I think Raphael actually showed back up at the monastery after that encounter for me, because I had recruited him back in school. Uh, well, for me, uh, at this point, I didn't... like. I think it's almost impossible to recruit all the students in your first playthrough. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so there was definitely students I didn't have. The only one who didn't show up for me out of the ones I recruited was Ash. Ash did not show back up to uh, for mine uh, right off the bat. So I'm assuming it works out roughly the same for you guys how this plays out. And then essentially it's you get back the Church of Saros uh, units you have with you if you're not doing the Edelgard route. And you have to essentially you establish, oh, this is going to be our base of operations here at Garrett Mach. And... You find out that the Empire will be showing up eventually because we're not going to go unnoticed. This is an important spot. Yeah. yeah. So you're just kind of getting ready for that attack. Now, here's a cool thing. I can't remember if it was this fight or the previous fight because it's pretty much the exact same battlefield. But uh, I think it was this one specifically. This is where Claude starts implementing tactics of stuff and he ends up burning the battlefield down with the enemies if you lure them in close enough. Yeah. Now, Ooh. Sedith did that for me. <laughs> Because uh, this one was also the uh, whole the church battleground that happened at the beginning of the time skip. Except we're fighting off, again, the Empire soldiers coming in. Except yeah. once I pushed in far enough, took out the ballistas, and it was Hubert and his last few elite guards, and they were rushing in to corner us because we are all kind of pincered together. Said it's like, now initiate the plan! And just the bombs come in and the whole field's lit ablaze. I'm like... Oh, I'm glad you missed these few squares that my units are on. <laughs> yeah, it just burns. I, I had, I, well, I had Raphael up in there, but he didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> ding, zero damage. Ding, zero damage. <laughs> <laughs> my God, the man's immune to fire. 
this pretty much just establishes like, yeah, don't fuck with Garrick Mach at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Then from this point, I assume it runs relatively similar where you're trying to find resources and allies uh, to build up your force, eventually leading to uh, the Battle of the Bridge, because uh, I feel like that's a core battle that's going to happen in all the routes. Yeah, so yeah. for me, I went and got allies from the Alliance, so uh, we were going off to meet up at this chasm for obtaining the uh, troops that they were sending us. I had the same one. It was uh, the woman that works with uh, yeah. Claude. And uh, that's where I re-encountered Ash. Yeah, I encountered Ash there, and I had to defeat him with Bailiff specifically, yep. because I killed him with somebody else and he died. I'm like, oh no. Oh, I'm, I'm glad I attacked him with Bailiff. And then, then I rewound time, and I moved Bailiff over there, because I thought, like, because I, I knew there was the talk action that sometimes showed up. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe Bailiff can, you know, convince him, but it didn't work. I was like, oh man, and then Ash attacks me, and I kill him back, and then it's like, oh, you can spare him. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Does was, not work on other characters, yeah, I though. was so sad when I had to kill him, but then I got the option to spare him on Kelly S. Yeah. Uh, so that happens with that fight. Did, was there a similar one for the Blue Lines, where you went into, like, the volcano area? I'm trying to remember, because I specifically played through this a while back because I thought we were going to do this podcast earlier, and have not played the game since because I didn't want to color my opinion with other playthroughs, so it's okay. been a while for me. So I'm trying to remember. I believe so. I don't remember... Who did I, how did I recruit? Oh, um... Because at, at this point, I've... Because it does give you some feedback on the rest of the armies at this point. So in Blue Line, mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, in a, a Golden Deer, it's like, yeah, Dimitri's just fucking dead, and it's someone in his army that took over, and now has Gautier and, uh, Ferelden? Yeah. Felix's family? Like, mm-hmm. they, they formed an alliance, and they're fighting against us. It was a civil war. The alliance kind of has, like, an uneasy truce where Claude is keeping things civil, but there's a faction that's like pro-empire and a faction that's anti-empire. And the for the Golden Deer, the whole premise of the first few missions is we need to find a way to get into the empire. But to do that, we need to unify the alliance. So you're getting support and kind of strategically placing people to do the ultimate mission, which is take the bridge. Because once the bridge is captured, the side that's pro-empire is next to the bridge. And if there's no threat from the bridge, which is controlled by the Empire, the Alliance just unites and goes in. Yeah. The kind of blue line post time skip, it's a lot less of, like, preparing and, like, reuniting your resources. Because you still have the king of the land on your side. And, like, the resources will be prepared once he's on board. But it's a lot more helping him fight back from complete and utter insanity. Because he has literally gone insane over the time skip. And he's just become, like, a murderous psychopath. Because he's been betrayed one too many times by people close to him. Uh, so it's a lot of you keeping a close eye on Dimitri as he's just murdering people relentlessly <laughs> until you get to the point where you can kind of reawaken him and bring him back to the person he used to be who actually cares about people. And then the moment you do that, you have the entire kind of kingdom forces at your side. And then you march down to refree the kingdom and take the fight to the Empire. Uh, so... I feel like the part where the story really starts moving forward again is the Battle of the Bridge. Is that also in the Blue Lions route? Yes. So this is probably the part where I hurt myself playing this game because I didn't really care much about Ferdinand up to this point, but when I march on the bridge, he's the guy there. I'm like, oh, maybe I can recruit him too. And then the mission says, must kill all generals. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I could probably recruit him. And then I had to murder him. And he's like, protect the people. I'm like... Oh no, Ferdinand, what have I done? Because, like, 
up until that point, he was all nobility this, nobility that, but his view of a noble is an upstanding person who is the pinnacle of righteousness and who must be a role model for everyone to follow after. Like the Wrens, but he's doing it better. Yeah. Well, also, if you watch like a lot of the, uh, we'll call it, the support level cutscenes with him, there's one between him and Hubert uh, that goes on. And Hubert gives him a lot of shit for constantly like being at odds with Edelgard, yep. where Edelgard, Edelgard is the emperor. We should support her no matter what. And Ferdinand's like, no, that's a terrible way to be an advisor. You have to do your best to be better than the emperor you're so serving you... so that you can always serve them wisely. And that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to be the good person who was trying to rein in Edelgard's craziness, whereas Hubert was fully on board with like, yeah, Edelgard wants to do this. Let's kill a bunch of innocent people. <laughs> but then after the time skip, since I was the Black Eagle's house, Ferdinand came back for me. Yeah. And I was like, sure, he still has that sense of nobility about him, but his countenance is a lot darker, more mature. He's reined in that whole outwards, I've got to do this to be the best person I can be. And he's just a lot more grounded, and he was essentially not a noble anymore. His father is imprisoned, he no longer has any of his lands or his rights, but yeah. he still wants to be a noble individual. After the fight, the part that got me the worst was I had Dorothea on my team at this point. So when you're going around talking to the students, they're all talking like, I can't believe we have to fight. And then Dorothea's like, we killed Ferdy. I'm like, oh no, Ferdy! <laughs> Yeah, I actually um, quite like Ferdinand a bit. Um, I am Ferdinand von Eyre. <laughs> I am Ferdinand von Eyre! <laughs> uh, so, once you take the bridge, that's when you end up finding out in the uh, Golden Deer anyways that, oh, a kingdom force has come up behind us. We're not letting them onto the bridge, though, and they moved over to Gonderfield. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like, and now Edelgard's force moved to Gonderfield. It's like, oh, what, what, what's going on there? Should we go check it out? You and get you there, get and it's Dimitri's alive, leading a force. And at this point, Edelgard also shows up leading her force. So it's a remake of the Battle of Eagle Lines, the best mission, times two, which is even better, but the stakes are real and people die. Yeah, it's that also happened in the Blue Lines. It's just another one of the Battle of the Eagle and Lion, this time much more real and much more murdering. Now, that is not what happens for me. Oh? Instead, I had across... Well, after I take the bridge, then the Kingdom forces march across, led by... Uh, Oh, uh, Gilbert, and they're on their way to the capital because they want to uh, be the first to take down uh, Edelgard. They ask if you want to join them. They're like, we're like, no, we don't have the forces right now. We just took this bridge. We need to regather our strength before we move on. And then when we're regathering our strength, we learn, oh, this new battle at the field happened between the Empire, the Kingdom, and the Alliance, and mass casualties everywhere, losses, severe loss, Dimitri's dead, Claude's missing, and Edelgard was severely wounded and taken back to the capital. So my next mission is assaulting a big fortress city, nigh impreg impregnable. That was my mission after the Battle of okay. the Line. Yeah. yeah, um... Now, I want to point out, I don't know what happened, but with the incident that happened with Ferdinand, I was not very willing to fight other characters, which I gotta say, Three Houses, even though, like, I wasn't invested when these characters are trying to get them, just the response of other characters to their death and stuff made me not want to kill any other characters. Yeah. So there's a part where Sylvain and uh, uh, Ingrid pop up in this fight on the Blue Deer, uh, Blue Deer uh, side and oh, Blue, Blue Lions. Lion. And Dimitri's like, kill them all. I'm like, Dimitri, we can team up against her. Yeah. And they swoop up behind me and they're attacking. I'm like, I'm just going to put... I actually moved Raphael down there, unequipped at his equipment. So that he was just getting attacked with them, taking zero damage and doing nothing back. He's like, you're just going to stay there and play with Raphael while I deal with Dimitri. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, during this point in the Blue Lion playthrough, 
Dimitri is still fully insane and fully intent on killing everybody else because no one can be trusted anymore. And it's not until after this kind of replay of the Battle of the Lion and the Eagle that you actually get to, like, reawaken Dimitri. He, like, becomes a good character again. And then your goal becomes take back the capital city of Fergus. Fergus? Fergus. Fergus. Take back the capital city uh, so that Dimitri can actually rule as king again because it's been taken over by the Empire. And then after you do that, you... So we didn't have, like, a fortress city battle after that. It was literally retaking the castle. And then we get approached by the Alliance, and the Alliance is like, can we actually work together? And Dimitri's finally like, oh, fuck yeah, we're together, cool. I like being friends with these people I was trying to kill, like, a month ago. Now, uh, the Fortress Battle, you didn't have it, but this is where something interesting happens. I'm curious if it happens in your route, but after, so the city is guarded by Hubert and the Death Knight. I get to kill Hubert. I was finally able to kill Hubert. You fight Hubert, he disappears in this playthrough for me. He warps off, you fight the Death Knight, and essentially after you fight the Death Knight, the Death Knight jumps up onto a wall, points to the sky, points at you, and it jumps off, and you see like this giant glowing sword start coming down. Like, yeah, like a literal nuke came So the, the city, city gets nuked by, we find out later, would be Talos, or whatever his name is. Thalos? Thalos? But he literally just nukes the city with this magical ability, but because the Death Knight's like, hey, yeah, I want to kill you myself, so get out of there. And uh, he ends up making sure that your army gets out. Mm -hmm. And then the next step of this mission is you just march straight at to the capital at Enbar, and the final battle of Enbar happens at this point. Now, did that you... was not a fucking thing in the blue Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you just march straight there? Because for me, we pretended to be retreating back to Garrick Monastery and regrouping, but we were slowly filtering disguised units into the Empire for an invasion. Uh, so ours, at this point, we used the disguises to get into the fortress, and then after this, like, there is, like, the Garrick Mach wind-down, but mm. we literally just, how the story progresses, you march from that fortress into Enbar to just fight. Okay. Garrick. And then there's, this is a two-part fight, so we fight on the ground level, that's where we kill the Death Knight and Hubert, mm -hmm. and then the next part of the mission is you go up into the castle and you have your fight with Edelgard. Yeah. So the fighting was the same for me, except I had the added bit of flavor where we went back to Garrig Mock to pretend we were surrendering, but we were filtering our units into the capital under the guise of traveling merchants or artists inside. And you were taking back the capital of Fargus? Taking back the capital of Fargus, and then went with Claude to, I think it was take back, or not take back, but to protect one of the major cities in the Alliance from an assault from the uh, Edelgard. It was probably the, the Gloucester stronghold, because that's the one yeah. that's right there after the bridge. Yes. Now, was there no giant beam swords from the sky? There was no giant okay. beam swords. I have I no memory of I was legitimately terrified, because the Death Knight has an amazing cutscene of jumping up onto the castle wall on his horse. His horse rides down the wall onto the field, turns around, menacingly points back, you find out he's pointing at the sky behind you. Your character turns around, see these purple circles, rings, just lining up like a track into the sky, pointing directly at the fort, and a giant warhead just sailing towards Slams the into fortress. Slams the city, destroys it completely. Jesus, fuck! <laughs> now, this is important because it plays a factor in this later, because after you defeat Edelgard in this route, you end up getting a letter from Hubert, who's dead. He's like, if you're reading this, I'm dead. We weren't actually the bad guys. There's these other people that slither in the dark. Maybe yep. deal with them. You rescue Rhea, who then explains to you who these people are because you and Claude, like, interrogator, good cop, bad cop. Yeah. And then you find out that, uh, I can't remember who it was specifically, but someone's like, 
because they fired that nuke, I was able to track their exact location, and you march off yeah. to that location. Now, that was the same for me. Hubert was able to track their location beforehand, because he had prepared that note to be delivered if their plan failed, if Hubert was downed, and if I killed Edelgard. And uh, because I had said it, we were able to calmly get Rhea to tell us who these people were. Now, I actually think it, I think it was uh, Hubert that in his letter said this is where they are because they tracked it because they used that ability on the fortress. Okay. Um, so that was not um, part of the Blue Lion playthrough. That's either. why I was curious because how did you find their base? Uh, we didn't. The fight with Edelgard was the end of the game. Really? Kill Edelgard, game over. Oh. You win. There was, <laughs> like, there was some mention about those who slither, but there was no, like, going back to actually kill off. Okay. okay. So, after we defeat Edelgard in these routes, so, we go to fight... First, I want Wait a second. That means you didn't get the dubstep level, did you? You didn't... I know of the dubstep okay. level, but I did not get to play the So, yeah, when you level. go to the slither base... Before we go into that, though, I want to have something that was mildly disturbing that happened for me. Because when we went back to the Garrig Mock Monastery, one of the characters asked what uh, happened to Dudu, because he showed up in that fight and was mainly taking the, uh... Yeah, he shows up in the Edelgard fight for mine, too. Yeah, he was mainly like... taking the aggro of one of the big beasts that was in there. And, uh... Oh, so... no, I, I saved Dudu and I marched him up there with him. Oh, but no. So, after the fight, one of my characters asks what happened to him, and uh, one of the other characters responds, Oh, he stayed behind to destroy Edelgard. <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me, she was dead, what more were you doing to her? <laughs> Nothing survives. <laughs> but yeah, after this, you go to the Slither base, which is in a mountain in Alliance territory. Uh, when you get down there, it's very neon-colored and, like, dark and, like, techno-style. And the music is, like, dubstep playing. And it, like, it, it all this is like, a bit different. It all looks like techno-magic. And the beasts are, like, robot knights. Yeah. That's super fucking cool. So, now, I'm gonna admit, in this mission, I get a little stuck, because I'm like, I killed everyone, and, like, the monster kept showing up, I'm like, what the fuck do I do to end this? And I found that there's a building in the middle yeah. that has a doorway that you have to walk up and open. Now, I didn't get stuck. I took my time getting killing everything around. I noticed that the, uh, knight thing kept spawning back at that entrance, so I placed a couple units on its spawn point. Yeah. And I sent my, the rest of my units up to that door, opened up the door with Violet, enemy turn starts... The, the two wizards come up, attack Byleth, yeah. and then the main bad guy fires off his giant nuke spell and kills one of my units. I'm like, no, I'm not having <laughs> I'm that. I'm not going to open that door yet. Because it damages every ground unit. It's scary. Uh, now, after you beat him, he does die uh, due to Rhea, and, but he gets his ultimate spell off to nuke this base too. So Rhea turns into a dragon to stop it. So she's literally fighting these nukes as they're coming in. She gets pretty badly injured. Yep. And you end up making it with everyone alive. You've defeated the ones who slither in the dark. I. But sorry. this isn't the end of the game. I, I no. I need to cut you off for a second. I fully misunderstood when you said you end up making it out with everyone alive. I didn't hear the it part of that, and I thought you just said you end up making out with everyone alive. You're like, <laughs> there's a fucking orgy in this game. <laughs> Let's just say the blue, uh, the blue uh, deer, uh, the golden deer, know how to party. Okay. Let's just. So, also add in that it wasn't just the people slithering in the dark that knew how to slither in the dark. <laughs> so this is where, this is why Matt, I felt like... no. No. <laughs> so this is why I felt even after beating the game is the Golden Deer, it didn't feel like it built up to anything because the slither in the dark people kind of felt slapped on at the end. Like, we didn't really, they were throughout the game, but they didn't feel like they were the antagonists. felt like it was very much Edelgard. So going beyond Edelgard being defeated felt kind of just wrapping things up that 
didn't yeah. feel developed. It, it felt more like they were wrapping up something that they wanted to flesh out more, but didn't have the time or the space now, to do. Now, where it gets weirder is because when you were playing the cutscene of you leaving the fortress and you're going back to Garrick Mach to celebrate, you see a coffin open and fucking Nemesis steps out of the coffin. What? You didn't get this? No! <laughs> So apparently Golden Deer has the most to it with extra shit. Did, did you have any other missions after that? Yes, yeah, there was one last mission okay. where you're, you're at Eric Mach, and it's like, a phantom army came out of nowhere from that area and just is wiping through cities and what? fortresses, okay, heading, beelining it for Garrick Mach. And it's like, what's going on? It's like, uh, people are saying, according to our records, it's Nemesis. He's using the Sword of the Creator and all of the other... Uh, Crest users, like his army from back then, have risen with them. So you have an army of Crest users marching to Garrick Mach, and you are going to for the final that showdown. That is incredibly different from what I'm getting. So the fight that ends up happening here is you're on the battlefield. It's a swampy plain, and a pretty much the Crest item of every house is on the battlefield on the enemy side. And this guy, uh, if because he has all of the uh, sort of the crater abilities, including your Shattered Heaven ability or whatever, that can instantly kill allies. <laughs> So you Jesus. have to fight him in this big open plane, and you have to eliminate all the other crest users, otherwise he can't take damage. Oh my god. Jesus, fuck! Okay, now, what happens for me when I get back is, uh, the month happens, Rhea recovers enough to get out of bed, and she finally tells you the truth of your birth. Um, your mother, or Princess Rhea, her mother, Sothis, as she, Seteth, and Flane are all children of the goddess yeah um uh princess or lady rhea was so distraught when set when sothis died her mother died that she continuously tried to make bodies to be a new vessel for sothis to revive in and was putting uh, this crest stone into the body to help try to revive your mother was her 12th attempt at it which failed and uh Geralt fell in love with this nun and that's how you were born but there was difficulty in birth Either no one was going to survive, or Rhea, Rhea could have saved just the child, and that's what Rhea did. She took the crest stone under your mother's wishes, out of your mother, and put it into your heart. So I didn't know about the multiple attempts. What I did find out was that all of the weapons, the crest weapons, are actually the remains of the goddess children. Yes. Yeah. Nemesis so just murdered all of them, and so I was like, oh, I've been... I've been swinging your children, your siblings and, around. Yeah, the, the weapons seem a little bit bone-like <laughs> after yeah. you realize that. And then, after this, leads right into the next, the final fight. Because Rhea, all of a sudden, screams out in pain, transforms into a dragon, and she's just, like, lost all of her sanity, and we get a report from a soldier coming in saying, soldiers from the monastery are just going crazy, they're going into a frenzy, and are turning into these crest beasts, the same soldiers that have shared Rhea's blood or have some sort of connection with crests, just turn into these crazed white beasts and crest beasts. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, three what different endings. What the fuck did I piss out on? <laughs> and so my final objective is to kill Rhea, and she's a massive beast, which all these beasts up until now are two by two squares. She's a three by three square. Fine. And... She, her defenses are stronger the more beasts, more white beasts are on the field, and there are several. Fun. Now, I guess it makes sense because there's a history in the Fire Emblems that a, a dragon going mad tends to be a villain in the series. Was there anything in any of your guys' roots that hint at Flane and Sedeth also being dragons? Because I'm pretty sure they are, but there's never anything about it. Now, I... Sedeth did say that uh, at one point when uh, 
I think it was directly after the battle in the dubstep cave. Yeah. That, uh, that really, out of everything, that's the part that you should be sad you missed the most. As they were, I am pretty sad about. As it. they were all children of the goddess, Rhea still retained the ability to change her form. Yet, Sedith, a long time ago, lost his ability to. And uh, Flane, I'm assuming, is the same since he's she's their daughter. Yeah, that would make sense. Or Sedith's daughter. Yeah, Sedith's daughter. But yeah, uh, the fight ends with the big fight with Nemesis, which feels also just weirdly tacked on. Now, what I will say is, we do know that with the DLC, there is a plan. For more story content, which I assume yes. means new route, which is probably going to be the everyone's friends route. Yeah, because I, why not? Yeah, I want a route where I can dissuade Edelgard from going on or killing Frenzy and just raising the whole country. Now, new route, you're just with those who slither the entire game. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I feel like the new route will probably focus more on those who slither as the yeah. main villains because where they felt so tacked on with yeah. what I played. So it probably will be the time skip when you come back, could be that Nemesis is already reawakened, because that's what the, some other people are trying to do. They're trying to resurrect Nemesis to destroy everything, yeah. and take back the world from the goddess children. So, like, maybe having Edelgard on your side gives them an opening to, like, take Rhea, sacrifice her, to bring back Nemesis or yeah. something. This well, is... what I feel like is going to happen, because I was thinking, where do you change the story that drastically does things? And there's only one thing that comes to mind, which what you drastically change, and that's Sothis having to sacrifice herself bring you back yes mm -hmm. so that happens because gerald dies yeah. and gerald so, dies because you saved monica maybe you find out earlier about monica you find out yeah. earlier about those who slither in general you realize monica's one of them so you prevent her from killing gerald which means yeah. that so you don't awaken or you don't merge with sothis yeah. to because you don't go into blind rage into the forest and yeah. you go into that tomb anyway to get your revelation, you can't get your revelation because Sothis's soul is merged with you. She can't talk anymore. Yeah. She can't communicate with anything. So you might actually get the revelation, oh, those that are in the dark are still around. You need to stop them. They attack the monastery, and then everyone kind of teams up at that point. Yeah, because those who slither were, I guess, using the Empire to meet their own goals. Yeah, you find out that, at least in the Golden Deer, I'm assuming the other roots, that they're responsible for Dusker yeah. and a bunch of other things. Yes. Oh, man. That... That whole Dusker thing was also pretty fucked up. Yeah. It's this whole situation of, what was it? It was Edelgard and someone else was kidnapped and brought to Dusker. And then, well not kidnapped, but brought to Dusker to try and get them away from the Empire. And then they end up getting, uh, the, or not Dusker, they're brought to Fargus. And then Dusker attacks Fargus as a way to kind of free them from Fargus and return them to the Empire. Well, here was the cool thing about it too, like... Even just hearing you guys talk about it before that, playing through the route of the Golden Deer, I was very honest, like, oh, what happened there with Demetri? Why did he change so drastically? <laughs> and, like, you know, what is what happens in Edelgard's story if you follow her? Uh, that made me, I really want to play this game and go through again. Yeah. Just because I was very yeah. curious to see what happens. I had a weird instance before I went off after the people who slither in the dark. Or no, before I went off after Edelgard, even, that... Dimitri, an apparition or something, showed up after he was supposedly killed at the battle, the big battle between the Empire, the Alliance, and the Kingdom. He showed up, said a few words that he was completely lost, didn't know what to do, didn't know to, what to make of his choices. You say something to him, Sedith shows up, you turn around to see him, and then Dimitri's gone. Now, I do want to address the fact that, thinking about it now, those who are still in the dark are just mole people, so the villain of the story is mole people. Yep. I mean, they are pale. Uh, on top of that, have you guys dipped into New Game Plus at all? 
No. No. So I have. I've actually started doing the uh, Blue Lines playthrough, because I wanted to do this, then I'm going to probably do Evil Edelgard, and then Church Root. I'm probably going to do Evil Edelgard, and then probably the Lions. I'm doing Evil Edelgard Or not Edelgard the Lions, the uh, Stag. So, New Game Plus... It's super easy to recruit all the students if you want to. So what do you keep going into New Game Plus? So uh, the statues of the saints, whatever level they're at, you keep. Uh, you keep nothing else, but you do unlock a few things, such as you get uh, artificial crest stones that you can equip to people to give them that crest to use the abilities associated with the weapon, or the just abilities from it. Do you keep any support levels? No, but you can buy back support levels for 400 renown. You can buy back levels uh, of your skill for like 500 renown. Now, you can't buy it between two characters. You can only, in regards to, you can buy back stats for any character. You can max out their class for any character that they've completed already. Or you can max out, uh, buy back social uh, bonds with characters you've had before. Okay. You can't go past what you already had. You have to then level up from there. But it helps you because the first thing I did as soon as I started my new game plus, I just maxed out Professor Level. Doing that alone makes, makes the game so, so much, much easier. Yeah. Uh, to a thing where people, uh, from what I've been seeing online, is what they do is they max out the bonds with other characters so fast because with the cafeteria and the gardening mechanic, you can literally just get everyone up to, like, B within the first three, four months. Huh. Yeah, because my professor level is B plus right now. I finished the game at A plus. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, well, to be fair, I didn't do much outside of gathering all the items around the monastery, doing as much fishing as I could, and... Oh, I fished shitloads in that game. Oh, yeah. I specifically waited for strategic days to fish. Exactly. So if it was, like, the fish, plenty of fish, or the golden fish days, I was like, yep, spending mm. all of my fishing resources right now. And if it was a normal fishing day, I was like, fuck that, I'm not fucking fishing. <laughs> Who now, the fuck fishes in this game? <laughs> now, here's an important question about the end of the campaign now. This game, unlike the last two Fire Emblem games, doesn't focus so much on the romantic aspect of getting characters together to get the optimal child. Yeah. But who did your character end up with at the end? Now, I decided to choose Linhart to go with. I'm still on the final mission that I have, so I don't. I didn't get to see what happens at the end yet. But uh, I'm kind of intrigued because I spoke to Linhart before this mission, and he's like. Yeah, um, if you choose to become the new ruler of the of the Fodlin, great and all, but that just sounds like too much work for me. Leave <laughs> me out of that. Sylvain. Obviously fucking Sylvain. <laughs> uh, I went with Leone because it just felt like when being in the Golden Deer, it kind of forced you into that one, so I was like, this seems about right. I also, when I was uh, going through the Black Eagles, I was very much so building myself towards Dorothy. Uh... Because Dorothea, uh, sorry, Dorothea, because Dorothea is just fucking great. Yeah, it's funny too, because like, I noticed out of all the characters, she was the first one, was like, she's interested in your house, but you don't got any of the stats. It's like, oh, she's just trying to get with Bela, doesn't she? Yeah. She's just got a little bit more tact than Sylvain, though. Yeah. She was an interesting character at all, but I started to develop my interest in her even more when I looked through her likes and dislikes, and she saw that she disliked herself. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> Marianne also has that. Yeah, cool. there's a couple characters who've got some self-esteem issues. I'm like, you're yeah. fucking amazing. Don't yeah. do not do yeah. that. And there's a lot of really good characters in this one. Is there a character that, like, just throughout the whole game that was just your favorite character? You think might be even the strongest character in the game? I, I'm going to say right now, Lysithia, definitely the strongest character in the game. I, so I don't have one for strongest, but I have a couple favorites. I'm going to say I have a favorite per house, and I have a hard time choosing between them. So from the Blue Lions, my favorite is far enough fucking way. It's... 
I say far out of fucking way. It's pretty close. My favorite is fucking Ash. Ash uh, is great. Close second, not far and away at all. I take back saying those words. Close second is Sylvain. I fucking love Sylvain. <laughs> He's such a goofball. Uh, in the uh, Black Eagles, my favorite is absolutely Petra. Petra the Great. Yes. Petra's amazing, especially if you like talk to her and like build up your support levels with her and find out about her backstory. She's not amazing. And then in the Golden Deer. Uh, I, I like Raphael. Yeah, Raphael. Raphael's Raphael's just hearing best. Raphael talk about how like all he does is eats and trains, and he can't stop training unless it's to eat because he needs to pack on muscles. Yeah. And every time you have like a conversation with him, he's like, "What do you think is better, strategy or strength?" I agree, strength. What do you think is better, magic or muscles? I agree, muscles. <laughs> now, now uh, I gotta say, one of my favorite things is because I'm playing through uh, Blue Line and I've already completed Golden Deer. I wouldn't say Shamir is my favorite character, but her interactions with the Do and Raphael are the best because in her interactions with Raphael, uh, uh, he's all about like, how do you do that thing where you just sneak up on people? It's like you gotta control your breathing and all that stuff. And then when you max out the relationship, uh, he actually sneaks up on her and she just talks about how horrifying that is that this big boisterous guy snuck up on her because he controls his breathing. <laughs> and the interaction with the do is it's them talk like just being silent talking to each other and like they have one word back and forth conversations and then she was like, I like talking to you. You get to the point. He's like, agreed. And they stand there in silence. He's like, I'll be going now. <laughs> and they just kind of leave. Speaking of character interactions that I really enjoyed... I really enjoyed the Caspar uh, and Bernadetta backstory uh, support level building up because essentially it's like Caspar telling Bernadetta that she needs to get out of her room and experience the world more, and Bernadetta's like, uh, no. And then Caspar's like, you know what? I got this really beautiful spot I like to go to when I want to be alone. Let me take you there. And Bernadetta's like, no. And so Caspar literally carries her to this spot, <laughs> and the entire time she's going on about how she's he's carrying her to his de- uh, to her death. And she's obviously going to die in this process. And then he like slowly walks away and she sees this beautiful vista and she's like, oh my god, this is amazing. And then in the later one, she's like, Caspar, where was that place? And Caspar like doesn't know what she's talking about and she like slowly explains it to him. And he's like, oh, it's, uh, well, if you go outside the monastery and you like take a left and you go, you know what, it'll just be easier if I take you there. And he literally just picks her <laughs> up and carries her there again. Uh, there's another pretty good one with Bernadetta with uh, Felix. Where uh, he uh, is trying to give her back a pouch that she lost, and she's like, "Oh no, he's gonna kill me!" And he uh, he is like, she, he thinks there's an attacker, so he draws her so- his sword, and she disarms him perfectly fine and just takes off. He's like, "You gotta teach me that ability." <laughs> <laughs> so it's him chasing her. It's like, "You gotta teach me your technique." Oh my god! No. Turns out she just flailed wildly and hit it out of his hand. Yeah. No. One of my favorite instances was the final support level I got with Ferdinand and Bernadetta. Because Bernadetta, very shut in, very shy, and terrified of the outside world and making friends because of her personal reasons. Yeah. You find out that Ferdinand was actually politically arranged to marry Bernadetta back when he was younger. And uh, he decided to get his parents to uh, stop that arrangement because he heard that the person he was supposed to marry was a terrifying shut in who made voodoo dolls. <laughs> I mean, and that doesn't seem too Bernadetta got incredibly defensive. She's like, I do not make voodoo dolls. <laughs> um, I also really like the one, if you get uh, Ferdinand and Linhart's uh, support level up. Because at first, Ferdinand's just giving Linhart shit for not, like, being more active and, like, getting out there training more and always spending his time in bed. And then uh, in their last one, 
Ferdinand's like, no, this is it. I'm taking you. We're training. And Linhart's like, you can't make me train. And then Linhart just starts running away. And Ferdinand's like, I'm going to make you train. And starts chasing after him <laughs> to the point where, like, at the end of the cutscene, they're both clearly winded. And Ferdinand's like, all right, I think that was some good training for today. And Linhart's like, what are you talking about? And Ferdinand's like, that, you ran. That was good training. Like, I'm surprised you were able to stay away from me for that long. <laughs> and and Linhart's like, I'm capable of exerting great amounts of energy when it comes towards not exerting any energy. <laughs> So, I do have one big final question to ask you guys, and this is going to be the, probably the most important ca uh, question for the whole thing. Which character is going to be in Smash? i probably have to say Edelgard. Uh, to Omega's fair. What character that's not Byleth is going to be in Smash? Yeah. That's a good clarification. Yeah. Yeah. My reasons for Edelgard is, one, in Smash already we have plenty of sword characters. We already have a semi-caster class in Robin. So it only makes sense to have one of the poster three characters, not a sword wielder. Um, Archer would be a little iffy for just another range zoning character. An axe user would break the mold entirely. Uh, oh, Lady Rhea. Lady Rhea would actually be a good one too, especially you could work in the transformations. Yeah, true. Uh, I was feeling Edelgard just where, again, they kind of focused on her a lot in the promotion, and she's such an important character to the plot, uh, although apparently when you play her mission you don't get the big fat at the end. But... I feel like Edelgard being an axe wielder, it does change up the roster a bit. Yeah. I, I, really, I just don't want a sword fighter, which if it's Byleth, it's going to be a sword fighter. There is some things they could do that are a bit different, I guess. I mean, I guess they could change it to a whip instead of a sword, just how the sword of the creator works. But yeah. I feel like the more sword fighters they put in from Fire Emblem, it just takes away from the fact there's so many other cool combat styles in yeah. the series. Oh, yeah. I think it's definitely just going to be Byleth because... That way they have the benefit that they have with a lot of the characters where they have the eight skins that you can choose from and four of them are going to be male Byleth and four of them are going to be female Byleth. Exactly. And also Byleth is made as the professor. You're supposed to become proficient in all of the different skills to be able to recruit all of the different students. Yeah, and they could even try to influ uh, influence with certain, like putting, you know, some magic abilities in there or maybe even like swapping up some weapons as a mechanic. Oh yeah. And well, maybe he... in a DLC route, Byleth will get the ability to make some sort of transformation. I mean, it would make sense, considering he's also got the essentially crater blood. Yeah. yeah. It would be cool if they uh, if they do go with Byleth. Instead of just having the four male and the four female, they end up going with essentially uh, two female, two male, two female post time skip, or post like hair change, and two male post hair change. They could see doing that. But it also could depend on what happens with the DLC pack, so we'll need to yeah. see what happens with that as well, because that could drastically change up things. It also apparently adds new characters, which I feel like there's a potential of maybe even Kronia being on your side, because if uh, Solomon goes to kill her and she manages to get out with you, if uh, it doesn't have to require Sothis' death, I could see her be like, hey, fuck you, Solus! Yeah, because <laughs> when Solus goes and kills Kronia, she's like, help me, please. Yeah, because she's a character that a lot of stuff was done for her, but she didn't actually play an important role, yeah. aside from The only Gerald. reason you really wanted to kill her was because she killed Gerald. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do think it would be cool of them to, like, do some of the moves that they've done with other franchises, where instead of taking heroes, they take a villain. So, if they had to take, like, Nemesis as, like, the playable character for, even though he only shows up in apparently one of the four playthroughs. Well, at the very least, they could, if it is Byleth, they could just make a reskin for Nemesis, because they have the exact same combat style. Yeah. yeah. Winding that down, I guess, uh, do we have any emails to go through there, Peter? Uh, WV... Email, God, or double check. Also, as a quick to note to anyone who was looking for it, 
I had a Peter game prepared for this episode, and then realized that it was just me essentially playing Mary Fuck Kill with characters from Fire <laughs> Emblem, and that would be a very subjective game for me to play with you guys, and decided against that. That's one. a little hard to pick a winner. Yeah. So, no, it looks like we don't have any new emails, so we continue to be perfect for another week. Sounds I'm surprised, good. like, I have heard from people in the wild that they were concerned about Matt. I was half expecting us to get a correction of just, like, Here's a correction. Don't fucking do that ever again. <laughs> that one would have been specifically from Katie. Yeah. Specifically from Katie looking to protect Matt forever. Protect Matt in his sweet, sweet voice. Uh, you don't have to protect me. I died from that pepper. I'm just a ghost. <laughs> well, regardless, thank you for listening to the podcast today. We can be found at all major podcast recording areas. So iMusic, Spotify, whatever you want. Google Play. I don't know. Probably. Yes. I have found us on Google Play just to be safe. <laughs> uh... Check back in within two weeks when we do our next podcast. And, of course, you can email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com if you have a suggestion of what the podcast could be about, if you have a comment, a correction, or you just want to threaten us for some reason because of Matt. Bye!